Good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Hey, you know what? Spring is here, guys. It's happening. And I'm really excited about that. You guys know I like warm weather, so Whew, we made it through the winter. Wasn't a bad one this year, was it? No, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Well, I want to begin uh, by asking you guys a question. There's a shock, right? How many of you have a uh, bumper sticker or a window decal or maybe one of those license plate holders on your car? Anybody have one of those? Yeah, quite a few. Okay. You know, back when I worked as a sales rep, I spent a lot of time out on the road driving from hospital to hospital, and I found it very interesting the things that people would advertise on their cars. It's not unusual to see people who are proud of their alma mater, right? You know, those little window decals, I went to Northwestern University, or I went to IU, or whatever college, or at the very least, I bought a car from someone who went to Northwestern University, right? Because you really don't know. Another thing people seem proud of is their favorite sports teams, right? Around these parts, what do you see? Cubs. Bears, Colts, Bulls, nobody said Blackhawks, I'm so disappointed, goodness me, my favorite team. I also like those little signs that people put up in their windows, those little caution signs, those little yellow signs, you know, with the suction cups on them. What's the, what's the most common one that you see? Yeah, baby on board, right? Now, I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to react to that, right? I mean, do I turn the radio down because baby might be sleeping? Speak to people in the car in a whisper? Shh, there's a baby on board. There's one that I really, really appreciated that said, no baby on board, so feel free to run into me. <laughs> See, people like to use these things to be funny, too, and I can appreciate that. Some of them advertise places people have been, typically national parks or tourist attractions. The one that I think of is Waldrug. You know, I've been to Waldrug. Yeah. Have you been to Waldrug? Yeah. It's just a big drugstore in Wall, South Dakota. I was really disappointed the first time we went there. The only time I should uh, emphasize as well. I mean, it's just this drugstore that sells these kitschy souvenirs and serves what I consider to be so-so food at best. But they market like crazy, right? They got us there. Wall drug. Some bumper stickers are in support of worthy causes, right? Like the environment. Or some people like to purport their political views, which we're not going to get into. No, not going to go there. But here's the thing about bumper stickers and window decals. With that comes expectations, right? For instance, someone who promotes environmentalism, right? Saving the planet. You wouldn't expect them to be tossing garbage out the windows or driving down the road in their big Hummer, right? I mean, that doesn't make sense. That would be in direct conflict with who they claim to be, an environmentally conscious person. Those actions don't 
match what they claim to believe. So here's another question. How many of you have the outline of a fish on your car? Or maybe some other, some other window decal or something that identifies you as a follower of Jesus. Now I, on the back of my truck, have a window decal that says, Who is Jesus? Now I'm not expecting someone to pull me over and tell me you know, who they think Jesus is. No. This is to provoke thought, right? I want people thinking... Uh, who is Jesus, right? Or, or maybe in a parking lot, somebody sees it and comments on it, asks me a question about it. Then I have the opportunity to share the gospel, to tell them what Jesus means to me. However, regardless of what it is on your vehicle, or really anywhere else for that matter, Whatever identifies you as a follower of Jesus, with that comes expectations with regard to your actions. For instance, if you have a Jesus bumper sticker and one of your fellow road warriors out there cuts you off, right? I mean, this happens. It's happened to me. Look, I know what all you guys do, right? Bless you. Bless you. Praying for you, brother. Praying for you, sister. Maybe. But, but, in a moment of weakness, and I know that none of us ever has moments of weakness, what if you respond differently? You offer a different kind of blessing. Or maybe that universal gesture that doesn't really say, I love you. Those actions are not in line with what your bumper sticker is saying to the world about who you are. For the time being, and this is going to cramp my style by quite a bit, because you guys know I like my arms flailing. Thank you. While he's doing that, again, are your actions saying one thing and your bumper sticker is saying something completely different? Are your actions in line with what you claim to believe? Well, friends, the Bible, and Jesus in particular, has quite a bit to say about that kind of behavior. And today, we'll see the importance, thank you, 
of not only claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we'll also see the importance of living our lives in a way that agrees with what we claim. Let's see if we can do a quick switch here. See if it works. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Hello? It's not working. We're going to continue on, and I'm going to be hamstrung here because I'm only going to be able to flail with one arm, but we're going to see the importance of living in a way that agrees with what we claim to believe. So we're in a series of messages entitled, Questions Jesus Asked, and what we're learning in this series is that, yes, Jesus asked a lot of questions, and we're taking time to dig into just a handful of these 307 questions that Jesus asked in the New Testament. And we're doing this because Jesus asked these questions with a purpose. He wants to teach us more about himself. He wants to teach us more about the kingdom. He wants to teach us more about ourselves. See, these questions are here for us. They're here for us to wrestle with and, of course, answer, and hopefully answer honestly. Now, if you were with us at the beginning of the very, uh, series, the first question that we looked at was one of the most important, maybe the most important questions that Jesus asked. If you recall, he asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And Jesus is asking that question of us as well today. And that question, friends, demands an answer. We've got to answer that question. And how we answer that question will influence how we answer every question that we're asked moving forward, in particular today. Now, if you recall, Peter answered what? What did he say? What did Peter say? You are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And if we agree and claim Jesus to be the Christ, and we should because that's who Jesus is, but if we agree, with that comes expectations with how we live our lives. Just like that bumper sticker, if we claim to be something, our actions should be in line with what we claim. Now, the question that Jesus asks us today cuts right to the heart of this matter. The question, why do you call me Lord? I shortened it for the slide. I shortened it for the bulletin. The full question is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So our scripture is found in Luke chapter 6. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, that's where we're going to be kind of living today. Our story proper is found in verses 46 through 49, but we will be looking at some additional verses in Luke chapter 6 
for context. Context, you guys know it's very important to understand the context of any passage that allows us to fully understand what it says. Now, in terms of Jesus' timeline in his ministry, this, this is something that happens fairly early on in Jesus' earthly ministry. If we look back just a little bit in Luke chapter 4, we read about Jesus being led into the wilderness and being tempted there. And it is from that point that he begins his earthly ministry of proclaiming the gospel and, of course, healing many and driving out demons. In chapter 5, Jesus calls his first disciples and he continues to heal and teach. And as we move into chapter 6, verse 12 tells us something very important. It says he went up on the mountainside to pray. And this is something that Jesus did quite often. We can learn from that. He did this often. And then it says he came down the next morning, gathered his disciples, and chose the 12 apostles. So he he identified what was going to be his inner circle moving forward. And what follows, beginning at verse 17, is what is referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. The Sermon on the Plain. The plane. Because in verse 17 it says he went down with them and stood on a level place. He came down from the mountain and he stood on a plain. Now, this is really not to be confused with the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you've ever read Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, that is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Because at the beginning of chapter 5 of Matthew... He tells us that Jesus went up the mountainside to teach. Here it says he came down from the mountainside to teach. So these are more than likely two different occasions. Now, there are some scholars who say that this is the same sermon because the message is strikingly similar, but it wouldn't be unusual for itinerant preachers to repeat the same message in different locations. They didn't have YouTube They didn't have recording devices back then, so it wasn't unusual for them to do that. So this is more than likely a different sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. However, however, the teachings are very similar. And we're not going to go through it point by point, but like Jesus does on the Sermon on the Mount, here in Luke chapter 6, Jesus describes for us what it looks like to be a true follower. He tells us what it looks like to be a true disciple. He's basically telling us how to live our lives. And again, friends, it is our actions that truly define what it is we believe, regardless of what we claim. Jesus refers to it as our fruit. He calls it our fruit. Listen to what he says in verse 43 and following. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what Jesus is saying here is if you truly love him, if you truly love him and your passion is to live to please God, then you will produce fruit that reflects the glory of God to the world around you. But if your motivation is anything other than that, if your motivation is selfish, if you're just seeking to please yourself, if you are seeking to impart your own will, your actions, your fruit will reflect that as well. And while it is true that someone who is bad may occasionally produce some good fruit, in the end, it's not going to last. It's not sustainable. It's not real. And I want us to understand that Jesus tells us this so that we can honestly, friends, look at ourselves. We look at our own fruit. Because this command comes right on the heels of Jesus saying, don't judge. Don't judge. And this is something that we talked about in depth a number of weeks ago. The goal here is introspection. You look at your own heart. You consider your own fruit. Do my actions align with what I claim to believe? And then Jesus, in verse 46, he asks this very question a little differently. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, when Jesus asks this question, he is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers. He is speaking to us. He's speaking to anyone who calls him Lord. But what exactly does it mean to call Jesus Lord? Well, in general, the term Lord refers to someone with power and authority over others. To say that someone is Lord is to consider that person master or ruler over something or someone. So, when we call Jesus Lord, we acknowledge that Jesus has, as he says himself in Matthew 28... All authority and power in heaven and on earth. All authority. It says, Jesus Christ is God himself. He is my master. He rules over my life and I will obey. I will obey. To call Jesus Lord, Lord, emphasizes and places additional emphasis on his lordship over us. I want us to understand here that, that this is a warning. Okay? This is actually a warning. It's a warning to those who call him Lord, right? They make that verbal confession, but they don't do what he says. Oh, you know, maybe they come to church, right? Maybe they bump into Jesus a couple times a month. We talked about that last week, right? Kind of casual. Or maybe, maybe, maybe they serve. And maybe they, they, they fulfill some kind of religious duties, but the rest of the week, they just go about their business just 
like everyone else. See, they don't bear fruit commensurate with calling Jesus Lord. Their actions don't match up with what they claim to believe. And that is going to be a problem for those people. Actually, Jesus puts it much more severely in Matthew chapter 7. There he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. I mean, that is some pretty impressive stuff, right? Prophesying, casting out demons, miracles. That sounds like bearing fruit. But apparently... It wasn't according to God's will. Maybe those miracles were done with improper motives. Maybe they were done for those people's own glory. See, the bottom line is Jesus sees through to the heart. He discerns our hearts and our motives. Kind of scary that, that not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus, he, he gives us this warning here. And then he goes on in verse 47 to describe three keys, three characteristics that we're going to kind of dive into here and spend the rest of our time this morning looking at. He says, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. So three keys here, three keys. Key number one. Jesus says, everyone who comes to me. Everyone who comes to me. Now, we need to understand what it means to come to him. Because crowds, they came to Jesus all the time, right? We see it at, uh, in, in verses 17 and 18 of this chapter. It says, a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come. They came to Jesus. But this cannot be what Jesus is talking about, because not everyone in that crowd is going to be saved. Jesus is referring to those who come to him and call him Lord. They come to him and surrender. That's the key. Surrender. So when we come to Jesus, as he says here, we surrender. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our wills. We surrender our lives. We surrender everything to him. That's what it means to come to him. Second key, he says, everyone who hears my words. New Living Translation says, everyone who listens to my teaching. 
And really, this is a bookend to the opening words. Again, we refer back to 17 and 18, where this great crowd had come to hear him. They came to hear him. But again, we want to ask the question, what does it mean to hear Jesus? It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 15, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Now, stop to think about that for just a second. You're going to go, hmm, that is a little weird, isn't it? Because we all have ears, right? Everyone has ears. But do we all really hear? Do we all really listen? See, for us today, listening, hearing means discipleship. It means discipleship. We must seek to hear from God. I mean really hear from God. So how do we do that? Any ideas? Not a one? Open the Word. Absolutely open the Word. It's what we do on Sunday morning, right? I pray that's what everyone does in their private devotion time at home during the week. There was a preacher who once said, I can't remember who it was or I'd give him credit, but he said, when you open the word, God opens his mouth. God will speak to you by the power of the Holy Spirit if you hear If you listen for his voice, I mean really, really listen, friends. And I want you to understand that that this isn't just about checking a box, right? It's not, you know, I get up in the morning, I got to read a chapter, boop, done, did it, check the box. That's not what this is. Hearing involves discipleship, truly seeking to hear from God, listening to what God has to say. The third key logically follows the first two. Jesus says, everyone who puts these words into practice. I mean, it's great to come to Jesus, and it's great to hear him, but friends, that is meaningless without obedience. Obedience. Jesus says, do what I tell you to do. In John chapter 14, Jesus says it very plainly. If you love me, if you call me Lord, keep my commands. Later in that same chapter, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Again, if you call me Lord, do what I say. Obedience is the third and pivotal key. And look, we know that this is a tall order. We know that this is not something that's going to be easy because the principles that Jesus lays out in this Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount and actually throughout his teachings that we read in the New Testament, it's all very countercultural. Jesus turns the world upside down. He says crazy things like, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are hated because of me. And then he says, woe to the rich. 
Woe to those who are well fed. Woe to those who laugh. Woe to those who people speak well of. He says crazy things like love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Be merciful. Just as your father is merciful. Isn't that just the opposite of what the world tells us? But see, then Jesus goes on to really describe the reward for those who truly, truly come to him, surrender, hear him, and obey him. He says in the following verses, They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now there's at least two more sermons just in those verses. But I'm going to spare you. My arm's getting tired. <laughs> We're going to boil it down to this, okay? A firm foundation is essential to any building. My daughter and son-in-law recently moved into a home that they had built. And I can pretty much guarantee you that when they sat down with the builder, the builder didn't say, okay, so uh, do you want a foundation on this thing? Hmm, you know, uh, the budget's a little tight. Uh, we could probably save a lot of money. Yeah, let's do this with no foundation. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Nobody does that. But, friends, people try to build their lives without the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. Which is also crazy because, as Jesus says, when a flood came... Notice he doesn't say, if a flood comes. He said, when a flood came. See, Jesus guarantees, friends, that our foundations will be tested. They will be shaken. And, and more than likely in this world, more than likely in this life, but even if they aren't tested in this life, they will be on judgment day. The day that we stand before the righteous judge, Jesus Christ, to give an account of all that we've done in our lives. If we don't have Christ, we'll be like that house with no foundation. And our destruction will be complete. And we'll spend eternity in the darkness of hell, separated from the God of creation. So here, here's where I ask you to finish the sermon for yourself. Because I want you to search your heart and honestly ask yourself the question. And I'm going to change it just a little bit. Instead of asking why, I'm going to shorten it to, do you call him Lord, Lord, and not do what he says?
Do you claim to be a Christian but live your life just like anybody else? Do your actions match up with what it is you claim to believe? You know, it's really interesting that according to one study, 69% of Americans claim to be Christians. But here's the sad fact. Only 6% hold a true biblical worldview and apply biblical principles to their lives. So there's a lot of people out there who call Jesus Lord, Lord, but don't do what he commands. Now I just, I need to be crystal clear right here for a moment, okay? This has nothing to do with earning our salvation. No, 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 no. That is not at all what Jesus is talking about here. We don't do what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. We don't obey Him so that He'll love us more or, or, or that our, our salvation would be more secure. No, that price was paid on the cross, friends. Our only hope is in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection. No, we obey Him. We build our lives on His firm foundation because of what He has already done for us. Our actions become a product of our salvation. We do what we do because God loves us and he sent his son to die for us. I want you to stop for a moment and imagine what this church would look like. What this community would look like. What this world would look like if we were all to live out the commands that Jesus calls us to. Wouldn't it be amazing? It would be an amazing thing. I pray, friends, I pray that we would be a community that comes to him and surrenders, that we would hear his words and diligently listen to his teaching as true disciples and do what he says. Live a life of obedience to the Lord of lords, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for the work of the cross. That that is our firm foundation. And Lord, as we've been instructed, commanded by you to follow all that you've commanded us, Lord, may we seek to surrender our lives to you. May we seek to be the people you have created us to be. Knowing, Lord, that when we fail, Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Father, we thank you for that. We bless you. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.